Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. The reading is taken from the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verse 6 to 12, which can be found on page 961 in the Church Bibles. Breaking covenant by withholding tithes. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, said the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sue. I hope you admired Sue's DMs this morning. Did you notice those? If you didn't, have a good look afterwards. I was saying to her, as I came out, we prayed together, and I saw her DMs, and they lifted my soul. Just before I, um, I was um, with a friend of mine, and I was uh, going to be ordained, and um, I don't wear the, the robes very often. You really do have to put a gun against my head to do that. But on this occasion, I had no option. I had to put the robes on. But a good friend of mine said to me, you know those DMs that you've got, Johnny? That's what you've got to wear for when you are ordained as a presbyter. And um, so when I saw Sue this morning, I just, we just have almost, you know, thumped, um, what do you call it? Fist bumped. Yeah. Look, it's, uh, it's a year and two days since my installation. It's, gosh, my word. Uh, it's, a, it's a big occasion, I think, in odd, an odd sort of way for me this morning, because I guess the, the thing is I want to say is thank you. Actually, it's a thanksgiving and a gift day. And I do genuinely think that we have lots to give thanks for. I was just strolling through one or two things. I was thinking about the movie night and the clothes swap, the ministry amongst the homeless, which, which is continuing, the hope explored, the baptisms, the last of the summer vibe. I mean, honestly, I could just keep going and going. The Lord has been incredibly kind to us. Now, right at the very beginning of, of my time, I think it almost probably was the first, just before the very first prayer meeting, uh, Johnny Lockwood came up to me and said, you know something, we, we do a lot in terms of praying for things, and, um, but what about, what about saying thank you? And so Johnny does that slot right at the beginning of, of the prayer meeting where we reflect and we say thank you. And part of looking at Genesis chapter 1 has been reminding us of the good God that we have, that we have and his generosity 
And so we can say thank you. So I want to say thank you to you as a church family this morning. And one of the things um, in terms of saying thank you so is that you can pick one particular thing. I wonder what the one thing, if you look back over this year, is what's the one thing you'd want to say thank you to the Lord for? Well, what I want to say thank you to you all for is for this particular thing. This is the thing that I am most appreciative of all of you. And this is that you are a praying church. It meant the world to me. At the, I think it was the very first prayer meeting when we gathered in here. Many of you all have been there. And, and we were so full on the Wednesday evening at the church family prayer. People were praying in the balcony. And I was in London on Friday, which was quite symbolic. I was actually at an installation, a consecration service. It was a, reminding me of my own, my own vows I was making a year ago. And somebody was asking me how the year has been. And the way that I talk about you, the way I describe you as a church, I say, I give thanks for this church because they are a praying church. And that is the most important thing that you can be and do. And that is the greatest encouragement to my heart. So with that in mind, let us pray. Father, we do open-handedly say thank you to, this, to you this morning. We thank you for your goodness and we thank you for your kindness. We thank you that you preserve us and you keep us and you love us, each and every one, individually, down to the individual details. And Lord, we pray this morning that you would encourage us in our walk with you. In your name, amen. Now, I wonder if you've ever had a friend or indeed been that friend who finds parting with money a challenge. You know the sort who seem to always lose their wallet at that appropriate moment and leave you to pay the bill? Now, I used to have such a friend who will remain unnamed. The worst of it was he was in absolute denial about the issue. A braver friend to him than me once tried to lightheartedly tease him about it, and he came to me utterly outraged at this preposterous suggestion that he might be tight. He just couldn't see it. And I think the worst occasion for me was following a, a wedding. It was actually at St. Helens, uh, which is across the town in, in London. And um, rather than wait for, the, for a 15-minute walk um, uh, to the reception, rather than sort of make that walk, he instead insisted that we catch a taxi. Now, the, the guest, uh, the, uh, the bride and groom, had set aside some taxis, and uh, so for those of us who, who needed one, uh, I didn't, but he did, and, um, but we were together, and uh, now this was a bad decision. It was a bad decision for two reasons. Firstly, since traffic being what it is in London, the, those who walked reached the destination before us, and secondly, unbeknown to us, the taxi had been running its meter since the service ended. So when we reached the reception, we were presented with an 85-pound bill and less than a two-mile two journey. And yes, I'm a Yorkshireman. Imagine how difficult that was for me. And of course, unnamed friend had forgotten his wallet. However, change is possible. And for him, it came in the form of a girl. He fell in love, and it utterly transformed him and his wallet. <laughs> Overnight, he changed. You know, one of the most fundamental truths, biblical truths, is that our God is love. 
He is generous and kind. He lavishes his blessing upon us. So when selecting a home for Adam and Eve, he gave them the sweetest planet in the universe, the blue planet. He gave them a home, a garden and an orchard. He gave them a job. He gave them his presence. At the end of each day, God took a stroll with Adam and Eve. He gave them purpose and meaning. Life was good, and it was a sure thing that they would flourish. And then they heard that voice within. You know the voice. Isn't there more? Freedom, autonomy, me, myself, and I. I want to be the captain of my own ship. There was just one thing that God didn't give them. You know, when he had finished giving them absolutely everything, do you see that tree? You know, the one just over there, the one behind the fence that has that keep out sign on it. Do you see that? That fruit is off limits, Adam and Eve. But that voice, and you know the one, the just one more thing I need voice, if I just get that promotion that house, that level of fitness, that boy, that girl, then I'd be happy, I'd be fulfilled. That's the voice they heard, and it got the better of them. They got over the fence, and they helped themselves to the fruit, and the impact was devastating. They died spiritually, shattering their relationship with God. You see, that is where the the pursuit of autonomy And self-fulfillment takes you. It takes you to a place of spiritual coldness and apathy. God had given Adam and Eve everything. This beautiful creation that we have been meditating together upon these last few weeks. And in broad daylight, right under their nose, they took from God the one thing they they were told not to. They stole something that was not theirs. Now, the people of God in this passage before us this morning have been taking from God. And God has sent his prophet Malachi to help them see this. And it actually helps knowing that Malachi and Nehemiah were written in the same context. It's partly why I wanted to look at these verses together as we spent much of the first year together looking at this book of Nehemiah. I wanted to sort of round off the story And you'll remember it's a great story of reformation and revival, of renewal. It's a story of how God's people return to him and how he pours out his blessing upon them. And then in the final chapter, the book takes a sorry turn. Do you remember that? It transpires that God's people missed out on the fullness of God's blessing. They only received half measure because ultimately they were neglecting the community of God and they were neglecting the worship of God. The Lord is upset that laborers are cheated of their wages. Look at chapter 3 of uh, of what we're looking at this morning, verse 5. Widows are being oppressed. The fatherless are neglected. And the people are not bringing the full tithe into the temple. And it's into this context that Malachi comes and says, Return to the Lord and he will return to you. Honor him. Love him. Put him first in your relationships. 
Just test the Lord and see if he will not open the floodgates of heaven and bless you as a congregation in a way that you are yet to see. Now we've been uh, these last few weeks at the beginning of the Old Testament and we're now at the very end of the Old Testament. And as we look back, we'll remember that God, he called Israel or he calls Israel out of Egypt and there he declares his love for them. He made a promise to them through Moses. Effectively, he says, I will be your God and you will be my people. He has taken them as his bride. He's declared his undying, outrageous, unconditional love for his people. And it's a love that's revealed again recently in our story as, as he's called the people out of exile. And they're back now in the, the promised land. And they are neglecting God. In verse 6, we see that their cold hearts have made God so sad and it has pushed God to the brink. Verse 7, God says, Now look, return to me and I will return to you. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. Now God is saying here to the people of God, come back. Come back to me. You see, the passage before us this morning is not really about the tithe. Now maybe God is saying something similar to you today. Return to me. You know that you have kept your distance from me for a long time now. Come back to me. You know, I miss the times when you prioritized me, when you rose early in the morning to pray, when you set aside the end of the day to take a walk and listen to me. I think the last time you really did that seriously was probably before COVID. You see, an occasion like this morning, Thanksgiving and Gift Day, is not really about our giving. It's not really about trying to raise money to meet the challenge of gospel ministry. It's actually when we ask ourselves the question, who has my heart? Who do I love? Me, myself, and I, or my God? And what implication does that have for me? It's about recovering freedom, not giving it up. You see, Adam and Eve gave up freedom when they took the fruit. And to return to God is to return to freedom, a place of safety and trust. It is to return that, to that unencumbered, undefensive posture when our chief end is to glorify God with all that I am and with all that I have. So let's, let's think about this. This is my first point. Um, return to me, return to God, says the Lord. Now if we're honest, this last few years for many believers up and down our land has been really tough. There have been moments when Many will have wondered whether this Christian thing is really worth it. Maybe we've thought like that. I certainly have. 
Our faith in God has suffered in part because of the failure of people in leadership across this land and further afield to love and shepherd and care for the flock of God's people as they should. And if you remember back to Nehemiah, the behavior of the priests had at times been questionable, conspiring with Tobias and Sambalat, playing power games. And I'm sure their conduct had given the people reason to give up fully supporting the temple, which they clearly had. But the point the prophet Malachi is making is that our loyalty as God's people is not to ministers and leaders. They let you down. I certainly will. Instead, our faith is ultimately about a relationship with the Creator God. And He is deeply invested in His relationship with people. And He loves it when they are as sold out for Him as He is as sold out for them. They are taking rather than receiving from God. If we're going to allow ourselves to engage fully with this passage, we've got to grasp something fundamental, potentially life-changing. It's what we've been talking about in Genesis chapter 1. See, Genesis tells us that God lavishly blesses us with everything we could possibly need and more. It's why God uses the phrase, very good, at the end of chapter 1 when he's finished creating there in chapter 1 verse 31. And then in the midst of all this creating, he made human beings. And what were we made for? Well, to worship as image bearers. By which we mean to reflect God's character, his goodness, his kindness, his gentleness, and his generosity wherever we go. You see, to return to God is to reflect his goodness and kindness as image bearers. If we get hold of that, it is transformational. Now, my grandfather was a butcher, and uh, he originates uh, from Darton Mapplewell, uh, a little village just outside of, of Barnsley. And uh, after the Second World War, he was a soldier in the Second World War. He came back and uh, um, married my grandma, um, had my mum, and they were uh, just a little family. They were setting up a business. They were working. And um, he had no faith. He was a lapsed Methodist. I think his grandma was, was a Methodist and very little religious uh, involvement, um, but sadly, his his business got into uh, uh, financial difficulties, and so much so, I mean, the, all the village knew it was, a, it was a small community that he faced the reality of, of bankruptcy. Um, and one day, he received a, a, a knock at the door, and he went to the door, and he, and he, he opened the door, and there's the the local Elian Pentecostal pastor there. What on earth are you doing here? I'm sure he was thinking, and. Uh, the pastor explained, and I know for many of us this might be uncomfortable given our backgrounds, but this is what happened. Tell me the spirit doesn't work. He was working in this moment. He said, I had a dream last night, and uh, in my dream, I've been told that I've got to bring you my savings. Uh, I've got to give them to you because I understand that you're in financial difficulty. I think my granddad, I don't know what his reaction was, but I can imagine i sure he was absolutely flabbergasted. That generosity of that man and the fruit has been seen. He came to the Lord, 
became a lay preacher, loved Jesus like no one I know. And remarkably, I'm here this morning, I suppose, as a fruit of that. And uh, the Lord is good, very good. You see, this man is an example of a worshiper who trusted God so much that he was willing to use all that he had to honor the glory and bring honor and glory to his God. And I know that almost all of you here this morning will know of similar stories. If you have children outside in adventurers and explorers, they're learning this morning about the widow's might. When God said, return to me, notice verse 7, they say, how? How are we to return to God? And we're told, verse 8, that they have to stop robbing God. Now, what does that mean, to stop robbing God? It's a, it's a pretty radical statement. You know, haven't we been learning in Genesis that God is generous? How can, he, how can he say that we are robbing him? Here in our God, we have the most generous giver who wants to give us so much. But instead of allowing him to do this, we take control and take from him. And how do we do this? See, ultimately, it comes down to a heart issue. I was asking myself this week, what is the difference between robbing God and returning to God? See, to rob God is not to trust him. It's rather to take control ourselves. This is what I need. This is mine. This is what I've worked for, what I deserve. To return to God is to give him control. It's to say, it's all yours anyway. What do you want me to do with it? See, robbing God says, I'm the boss. Returning to God says, you're the boss. It may lead to radical decisions, decisions in our life. But it might not. But it will lead to enjoying God in the way that we are meant to. Living for his glory as his image bearers. You see, it's when our defenses are down that God is able to pour himself into our lives. Now, Lake Okeechobee is a parable. It's the, the largest freshwater lake in Florida, and it covers 730 square miles. And years back, a, a hurricane struck, causing flooding, and many hundreds of people died. And so the authorities, they built a 30-foot wall around the bottom edge of it. Uh, and the parts of the wall is so tall that you, you can't even see over and you can't see the lake. They captured the lake, if you like, in a, in a giant bowl and they turned it into a, a sort of large stagnant pond. And at its deepest, it's only two meters deep. And today, it's dead. It's an ecological disaster. Nothing grows in Lake Okeechobee. And do you know Why? Because water pours into Lake Okeechobee, but nothing pours out of it. See, when God's goodness and generosity pours into our lives, but it does not in equal measure pour out of our lives, it's sad. It leaves our souls stagnant. Are we a stagnant pond or a river bringing life? See, God is, is pouring himself into you. It's Niagara Falls. 
Are you pouring yourself into others as he is pouring himself into you? So that's the first point. God says, return to me. Second, here's something else. Did you notice verse 7? Return to me and I will return to you. God will return to you. In our, our wedding vows, uh, with love in our eyes, we, we make promises, don't we? We made promises. And some of you, in fact, will have stood here right in front of this pulpit and uh, you'll have made promises. And as a, a minister who's carried out a, a number of weddings over the years, uh, you get to see as you stand at the front of the church with a with couple in front of you, you can see as they make their vows, you can see the love passing between one another as they say, all that I am, I give to you. All that I have, I share with you. Promises expressing our utter and complete devotion to the other. With my body, I honor you. Now, my unnamed friend fell in love with the kindest, most generous girl you could ever meet. What was hers was his. She couldn't do enough for him. Overnight, things changed. There was, for my friend, a loss of appetite and sleeplessness. The constant talk about her. And then he started acting crazy, a kind of madness descending on him. We'd all be out together having a meal, and suddenly he would offer to pay the bill. <laughs> he, was, he was love-struck. He couldn't do enough for this girl. It was unrecognizable. Friends of her would say things like, wow, he's such a generous guy. And we'd all look at each other with confused looks. He was in love. It's wonderful, isn't it, when we fall in love afresh with our God. He's so clearly in love with his people. Second half of verse 10, we read how he longs there to lavish them with his reckless, outrageous love and blessing. And the Lord says to each one of us this morning, trust me afresh. Remember what you promised when you became a Christian. All that I am, I give to you, Lord. All that I have, Lord, is yours. Do with me and do with what I have as you so will. And God says in verse 10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. See, what he really is saying here is, is honor me and all that you have, love me. Put me first in your life, return to me. He's asking, who are you worshiping? Jesus was even more radical than his father. In the parable of the dishonest manager, he says, take a fresh look at God. You cannot serve God and money. You see, if you start loving God, you start looking for ways to love him with everything. You're focused on the future, on seeing the, the kingdom of God established here on this earth. And you're asking, what can I do to make a difference? Now, many, many, many years back, I must say, when I was a student, and there were some students here this morning, there was a speaker called Nigel Lee. Does anyone remember Nigel Lee? Remarkable man. He died prematurely. I was at a conference which would have been equivalent to forum, and someone asked him about giving and said something like, you know, obviously I, I cannot give because I'm a student and I am poor. Nigel Lee looked across him and he had these piercing blue eyes. 
and he smiled. And then he said, no, you need to do that. You need to do this because you live in a culture that is swallowing you up whole. You live in a, in a culture where nobody gets up in the morning and prays, give me this day my, ba- my daily bread. Because we've all got bread. In fact, we have everything and way more than we need. Nobody is desperate for Jesus. And you know what? He went on. The experience of stepping out in faith, of taking a risk, doing what God has asked you to do, and seeing him provide for you will change your life. Now, we couldn't give that much, but I think many of us just started to give a small amount, just a little bit. Now, I have to say that everyone in the room at that moment in time was pretty shocked. The point was made to that individual student. Now, having given that illustration, I do just think we need just to pause a moment, actually. You know, I do want to acknowledge that, that many are struggling Now, here in Sheffield, food banks like Burn Grieve are struggling, actually, to have enough to provide. It's been a really hard few years for for many people. And let's not be naive. Many of us here in this congregation are comfortable, but not all of us. There are people in this room who are thinking about their daily bread. So hear hear me again. This is really important that we hear this as a church. This is not a call for you to give. It's a call to ask where your heart is before God. See, my principal concern is not what this gift day brings in. God will have his way, as testified by his faithfulness last year. But we are all, aside from the size of our bank account, called to return to him. See, maybe the real question you need to be asking today is not what I need to give, but what do I need to do to return to God? Is it that my faith has gone cold? Is it that I need to admit something that the Lord already knows? Are we living a a double life? Is there a grudge that I'm holding on to? Is there someone I need to forgive? Is there a part of me I don't want God to take control of? You see, this passage is not principally about giving. It's really a call to fall in love with God afresh. See, that's what stirs within us generosity and hearts for others in his church. We've got to experience the love of God, to see our God for who he is. He loves to give good gifts to his children, to his bride. In Malachi chapter 3, it says something that it doesn't say anywhere else in the Bible. God says, try me. Test me in this. Verse 10, bring in the whole tithe and you test me in this. Effectively, he's saying, put your trust in me. And you see. You see, if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. You know, God says, I will take care of you. Test me. I will take care of your needs. 
I dare you to believe it. Do you see how liberating that could be for us? So how do we get this? The thing is, if you are a believer this morning, you've already experienced it. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. That's outrageous, reckless love, isn't it? His only son, his precious son he gave. That's lavishing us with goodness and kindness. You see, this morning isn't about you being the big giver. It's about being the big receiver. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but receive eternal life. Today is about our salvation. This morning, God says, return to me. Amen. All right, we spend a moment. Be still, quiet. Reflect upon that good God that we have. Life's hard, really hard. We spend a lot of our time looking down, don't we? And it's discouraging. And the word this morning is a call to look up. Be reminded of who our God is. We know where we came from. We know where we're going. And we know who we are in him. Father, we do just pause this morning. We thank you for that reckless, outrageous, unconditional love demonstrated through the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for your patience. Again and again you return to us. Again and again you come after us, pursuing us by name. We thank you, Father, that you love us so very much. I pray we would know something of that this day and come to you with our arms open wide in your name.